Good morning, everyone. Just a few more weeks of this, and I will be back. Both Need and I are so looking forward to being back in service. So uh, just put up with me doing this by video a little bit longer, and then things will be a little bit more back to normal. I'm glad to hear that uh, uh, there are so many of you who already are gathered back, and that is good to hear because we are a body of believers. We are to assemble regularly, assemble as, um, as a team and as a family. So I look forward to being back with you. Until that time, got a few more times when I will be preaching to you this way. Thank you for coming this morning. Thank you for tuning in if you are doing it on the internet, uh, YouTube and Facebook. I pray you get a blessing. I want to be a blessing to you this morning and be a help. So would you open your Bibles to James chapter 1. I'm going to finish the, the thought I gave you last week on seeing yourself in Scripture. And if you'll go to James chapter 1, we're going to be looking in verses 22 to 25. James chapter 1 in your Bible, verses 22 down to 25. And I'm going to start reading here, and I want you to notice some things right off the bat. Verse 22, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now, we made that our memory verse several months ago. As a matter of fact, it is our main memory verse for the year. To not just hear it, not just own a Bible, but to do it. So verse 23 says, For if any of us be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass, we'd say a looking glass, in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh unto the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed, in his actions. So one of the main reasons why God wrote the scriptures, James here is very clear. He wrote it to show us ourselves. He didn't just want to show us David, didn't want us all his sins, didn't want us just to see Moses and uh, Sarah or Mary, didn't want us to show us people back then. He wants to reflect back on us what we are like. Okay? He wants to show us our nature. We'd say uh, our ways and uh, all our flaws, all our bad habits, and even our sins are demonstrated and proven in the Bible, in the lives of the people that we're looking at. Now, it was not written to honor people, not written to honor us. You know, a lot of people want to look in the Bible and find things that make them feel good. But to show us how we really are, to expose us. This book of books, the Bible, goes deep into the hearts and the thinking and even the backgrounds of both the greatest and also the most wicked men and women in history. The Bible in Hebrews 4.12 says it is a discerner, a critic of the thoughts and the intents of the human heart. So uh, when you read about great people in the Bible, it'll show you there's some flaws, some cracks in their nature. Show you some wicked people, it'll show that God can save them and transform their lives. So uh, don't read the Bible thinking it's about ancient historical people. It's about us. Even though we're living many thousands of years after Sarah lived and after Moses and David and Jonah lived, even Peter and Mary and Judas we are no different. And the worst part is people actually today think that we're more moral. Uh, we're better people. We've evolved better than those people 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. But the truth is we're not any better. 
And yet, and, and the point is, God gave us a book in the 21st century uh, to show us what we're really like. Men, women, boys, and girls. And he gave us the Bible to be our mirror. So the Bible is like a mirror. I want you to learn that, a looking glass. It's compared to a 3D mirror, a mirror from all different directions, showing us from all different sides. You know, you and I may see ourselves when we look in a mirror, just our front, but we can't see the back. And uh, uh, so you go into a, uh, you know, these, these fun houses where the mirrors are all in all directions. You can see your backside, right? That's what the Bible is like. It'll show you not just everything from all different directions, but it'll show you what's inside. Um, and uh, uh, how does it work? Now, the Bible is like a mirror that works supernaturally, okay? It shows us living, and, it, and to show us what's inside of us, he shows us living, breathing examples of people who both live by faith and examples of those who live by folly, those who were foolish enough to try to live without God. He shows us uh, Adam to Aaron and Eve to Esther, from Noah to Nimrod, and from John to Jesus. And this book of people are, are, uh, is, is, uh, shows us this book is full of people who lived and failed in all the same ways that we do. So we can learn. We can learn from them. We can actually see the consequences of adultery. We can see the benefits of patience. We can see the power of loving God and loving people. You know, uh, just uh, there's nothing more healthier than forgiving and loving. And when you go out of your way to love somebody, it's the healthiest thing for you. And you learn that from the Bible. You don't have to go to a psychologist to learn that. You find the joy of winning souls and the heartache of loving this world. You'll find the destruction that comes from rebelling against God's way and God's will. You'll see all that in the lives of people in the Bible. Now, the Bible doesn't expose our skin color, doesn't, doesn't emphasize our height or our hair. Remember when David stood up and, and tried to face off with uh, Goliath? Everybody saw the height difference. Everybody saw the difference in muscle size. Uh, but God saw a young man who was a man of faith, a man with passion, a man with a cause, and says, you'll win. So uh, the Bible doesn't focus on all those things. It focuses on the heart. And these words in your Bible that you're holding in your hand right now are the words of God Almighty about the human condition. And the words of this book are not the words of doctors or psychologists. They're not even the opinions of writers and authors. They're not even the words of Moses and Peter and Paul. They are the words of God to sinful men. And as cutting as they are, and sometimes they cut deep, they are also beneficial. They bless us and they change us. Hold your place here and go back to Psalm 1. We looked at this last week, and I've given you a bit of the background so we can just hit the ground running. But don't forget Psalm 1, one of the foundational scriptures in the Bible. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, doesn't live, listen to the counsel, to the, to the wisdom, to the words of the ungodly, the people who live without God and don't want God and think they can figure their life out on their own. That's RTE. That's every entertainer uh, out there trying to get a name for themselves. The, the, uh, the blessed man doesn't walk in, doesn't live in that council, and doesn't stand in the way of sinners, doesn't stand there on the corner of the street hanging around people who have a way of sinning, uh, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, doesn't constantly sit and criticize everybody, but his delight 
is being criticized at by the Bible, being helped at by the Bible. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now, what's good is that? Well, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Now, maybe your season's not yet, but you stay in that book, you will be blessed. His leaf also shall not wither when everybody else is dying and fallen apart. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, the only way this Bible works is if we make the effort to see ourselves as we truly are in the mirror of God's Word, no matter how messy our lives may be, we'll find somebody just like us in the Bible, if you'll take the time. And I pray you do that with me this morning. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to see ourselves in the pages of Scripture. Instead of always finding fault with others and even seeing all the faults in others, Lord, I pray we take a good look and say, oh, that's me. That's, that's what I'm like. That I, I don't want to go down that way. I don't want to be like that. Lord, I pray that we would become doers of the word because we've heard it this morning and from now on. I pray somebody would listen enough to know that everything's been done for them so they can be saved, so they can live differently, so their life can be, be full and be abundant. So bless as we uh, study your word this morning. Thank you for gathering us together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, now we've got, we've got our groundwork. Let's, let's just review two points here. Back there in James 1.19, to see yourself in Scripture means that you start with hearing the words of Scripture. They say that's very fundamental. Of course, that's very basic. But look at verse 19. Uh, it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. Now, this is good advice for normal conversations, but he's not dealing with reacting with other people. He's dealing with how we relate to the Bible. Swift to hear what God says. Let, er, uh, let every man be swift to hear, quick to hear, urgent, passionate, yearning to hear, slow to speak, don't interrupt, don't argue, and slow to wrath. Don't get upset at what you read. And you know, if you do get upset at what you read in the Bible, that proves you're paying attention. It proves your heart is engaged. But you got to be slow. You got to hold that back, like putting, putting your heart on a leash. Um, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You can't help God out by being upset. Verse, uh, um, um, verse 19 tells us to be hearers of the Bible. Um, not arguing, not, ar not fighting with what is written, but letting God speak what he says, how he says it. You know, there's some things in the Bible that are hard to hear. There are things that are that you just don't, I don't like what I'm listening to. I don't like listening about preaching about hell. I don't like uh, preaching against uh, pride and against arrogance and about my sins. But if I just let God speak, it changes me. It fixes me. It helps me. Hearing is the most important thing to do with the Bible for everyone all over the world. Saved or lost, everyone must hear. That's why Romans uh, chapter 10 says that uh, by... Uh, Faith coming by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And then it, it, it scares us. It says, how is, how is the world going to hear without a preacher? They've got to hear the Bible. It's the most important thing. Now, I know doing, we're going to get to the doing here, is very important. But you can't do what you don't know needs to be done. So hearing is the foundation. So start having a dedicated time, quiet time. We call it a quiet time 
where there are no interruptions in your life, not even from you, will you read every word in a chapter in your Bible? At least one chapter. You ought to read two uh, at a time. Start in Matthew. Please read Matthew all the way to Revelation. And then once you finish Revelation, go back to Genesis and read two chapters every day. Um, listen to every word as it is written, as if it was written to you, because it was. Romans 15.4 says the things that were written aforetime were written for our admonition, for our learning. So then, resist doing what you normally do, which is just ignoring it, or arguing with it, or debating with it. Uh, let every page be a reflection of you, where God is allowed to speak, and then you can start doing what God says to do. So here's the Bible's message, all right? This is what James is going to say as we read along in here. Number one, the Bible shows us what is inside us. That's the point. James points out what's inside every one of us. Look there, back there in verse 19. We're going to read down to verse 21 now. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, he's speaking to Christians. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness. Now, I preached on this last week. All the things that are filthy in your thinking, filthy in your heart, and there's enough in there to fill a dumpster. You're going to have to set it aside. You're going to have to lay it aside. You're saved now. You can do that. You can mortify those things. Before you were saved, you couldn't do that. That stuff was glued to you as part of your nature. But now you're told to lay aside filthiness, superfluity. You got a cup. It overspills, that's superfluid. That's abundance, it's too much. The abundance of naughtiness, the modern word would be wickedness. And instead, what should we do? Once we've emptied that out and put that aside, we should receive with meekness, with emptiness, the, the, the engrafted word. Now, engrafted means the fruitful word, the word that produces life, which is able to save your souls. So right then and there, the Bible shows us what's inside of us, impatience. We should be swift to hear, slow to speak. Impatient people interrupt. They, they, they react, and we need to deal with that impatience. The Bible shows us when we're impatient, shows us wrath, uh, not just anger, but shows us uh, the fiercest kind of wrath. You read that Bible, you start looking in there, and the Bible exposes that you're not just frustrated, you're not just impatient, you're full of wrath. It shows us the filthiness of our mind and our hearts. And that's just the beginning. I mean, James goes through about 12 different big sins, but we're just looking at three of them here. But Jesus lists a whole, long, whole, about more, whole bunch more of them. Would you go to Mark chapter 7? And in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says there's a whole lot more in our hearts than we want to admit. Mark chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, he says, what you do with your hands eating food with unwashed hands is not the problem. He says, what comes out of the mouth from the heart, that's our problem. And he starts to list what's in our heart. Look at Matthew, sorry, Mark chapter 7, verse 21. He says, for from within, out of the heart of man proceed, and he starts to list evil thoughts, evil thinking, adulteries, from the heart come adulteries, what you think about, what you want in your heart, fornications, murders, all began in the heart, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, 
blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and defile, we'd say ruin, the man. So the Bible shows us what's in us. That's why a lot of people don't like the Bible. You know, if, if, if every time you pass by a mirror, it showed you your hair was all disheveled and your face was muddy and, and dirty and your, your um, teeth had food uh, stuck in it, uh, you know, you might get mad at the mirror. <laughs> and that's what people do. They, they look in the Bible and they see wicked people and wicked imaginations and they get mad at the mirror. But second point I want to say is the command in James is to get cleaned up on the inside. He doesn't say for us to live that way. He doesn't say that we should stay impatient. He doesn't say that we should stay uh, with lust and battling all those things. He said that we should get cleaned up on the inside, and that's a great goal. You know, the Bible saves us, saves us from hell, but also saves us from sin and from ourselves in sin. Uh, it doesn't leave us the same. Uh, the more you are in church, the more you're reading your Bible, the different, more different you ought to be. Isn't that obvious? If you went to school to be a doctor, wouldn't you think after four years, five years, six years, you'd, you'd learn some things and you'd be changed? Your whole attitude and approach to, to, to life and to sickness would be f uh, refined and focused so that you actually help people? That's the purpose of those years in school. Well, what's happening when you're in church? Is any change taking a place? What's happening when you're in the Bible? When you spend time in prayer? Does anything change when you pray? We always want our circumstances to change. Do we let God change us? So the goal is to get cleaned up on the inside. And, and, but I'm not going to know that there's a problem unless I uh, am made aware of it. Just like if I pass by a mirror and my collar sticking up or my tie is crooked. I may not know it is like that unless my wife tells me it, or unless I pass by a mirror and I see it and I go, oh, I got to fix this. So the answer to all the darkness in our lives and in our hearts, even when nobody else knows about it, is number one, hearing the words of God. Now, I taught you many months ago, and I said, you know, the benefit of just reading your Bible is incalculable. Just reading it, just listening to it. Uh, did you know that hearing the Bible is like a good wash? You know, I got to take the car into the car wash every once in a while. And, uh, but think about letting the Word of God wash you on the inside just by reading it, listening to it. But, the, but doing the Word of God is, is, is fantastic. When, when you start to live according to the Bible, it changes you. Joshua 1.8, go all the way back to Joshua. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 now. Great scripture to be memorized. We're memorizing it this year. But Joshua chapter 1 in verse 8. Joshua 1.8 says this, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt not... He's speaking it. He's, he's hearing himself speak it. He's, he's not just reading it silently, even though that's okay. But he's reading it out loud. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate. It gets into your mind. Meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe, pay much attention to, observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, when you're doing the word of God, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous 
and then thou shalt have good success. That's a good verse to meditate and memorize. So Jesus gives us, sorry, James gives us some very powerful examples of what we need to do describing a man passing in front of a mirror, a looking glass. So go back to James. James chapter 1 and verse, 20, uh, verse 23. If any, James 1, 23, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Um, for he beholdeth himself, he notices, oh, that's me. He beholdeth himself and goeth on his way just keeps on going, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. James gives this example of a man seeing himself. And you know what's funny? He's only seeing what everybody else sees. Okay? He's not seeing anything new. And, and, and James calls it seeing his natural face in a glass. It's, it's the outside. He, can, he sees his nose, his eyebrows, his chin, his uh, neck, his ears, his hair, and so on. Okay? Now, it's what you and I look like on the outside when we see ourselves in a mirror. It's what we are naturally, visibly. And he, he describes this man passing in front of a mirror and not really looking very hard, not looking for flaws, just ignoring what's there and continuing to live like nothing is wrong with him. And that's us. That's me. When we look at ourselves in a mirror, we may notice, as I said just a minute ago, we may notice there's a bit of toothpaste on the side of our lips, okay, a bit of hair sticking up towards the back or whatever. Uh, maybe, maybe there's a bit of food stuck in your teeth over to the side there. And most guys wouldn't care, all right? We're just busy. We just got to go do something else. And we look and we go, ah, it's not a big problem. I'm still handsome. I'm still healthy. I'm good looking, whatever. Now, uh, guys don't care, okay? But ladies, you will care. I mean, if something's out of place, you will stop and spend the next 10 minutes fixing that. And that's okay, all right? Just understand this. That mirror is there for a purpose, to show us what we're like on the outside. But do we notice what we're like? James points out that when we come to the Bible, we're like a guy that looks at himself and doesn't do anything about it. Uh, we're like people who don't notice what we're really like and we just keep going on our life and we, do, we generally do nothing that we find the Bible telling us that we ought to be doing. And as soon as preaching is over, as soon as the Bible is finished being read, we forget. We don't retain it. We don't think about it. We don't ponder it. And we definitely don't do it. Now, what's James getting at? What is his whole focus here? Well, we got to stop ignoring what we see when we read in this Bible, when we hear it preached, and when we hear it taught. These are, as I said earlier, these are God's words. This is, this is God's mirror. And it doesn't show us our natural face. It shows us the manner of our life. A normal mirror shows what we're like on the outside, but God's mirror shows us what we're like on the inside. Our character. <clears throat> Our nature, so manner. Look there in verse, uh, verse 24. This guy who passes by, he beholdeth himself and goeth on his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he is. Manner means the kind of man that we are. Behold what manner of love the God, are, uh, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. What kind of love, the, the largeness of us, the the depth of it, 
what kind of love God has toward us. So the manner of man is what kind of man you are. A regular mirror won't show you that. But God's word as a mirror will show you. What kind of man are you? What kind of woman are you? I don't care if you're five years old or 55 years old. Are you angry? Are you lustful? Are you carnal? Proud? Uncaring? I come to the Bible and I see myself in all those ways. Am I arrogant? Are you inconsistent? Are you worldly? Are you like the world? Are you impatient? What kind of person are you? Are you abusive? Are you lazy? Foolish? Are you hypercritical? Shall I go on? Did you know that the Bible is filled with the biographies of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who represent every one of those different manners, those characteristics? Why did God put a lot of people? Why did he just put a bunch of rules? Because you and I, we see rules and we run. I needed to see me. I need to see what I'm like. And then he shows me the way, the, what I need to be like, shows me what I need to be doing. Uh, the, uh, you know, there are three reasons why God shows us people in the Bible. Number one, he shows us what we're like. I gave you the example last week of me being, I didn't even know how impatient I was until I saw somebody super impatient trying to get into the cafeteria at Bible college. And I said, man, am I like that? And I saw that I was. And God puts brothers and sisters in your life, in your family. And you know the problem why we hate and get, get, don't get along with different people in our own home is because they're, they're like us. And, and God puts brethren together in a church so that we see ourselves. Sometimes we see somebody what we want to be like, but sometimes we see people that are just like us and we don't like them. And God says... Uh, God shows us the people in the Bible to show us, number one, what we're like. Number two, the consequences of continuing to live the way we're like and not changing. And the third reason why he shows us those people is he shows us the ways that he saves and changes anyone who yield to him to become more like Jesus. You know, look down there in verse 25. In verse 25, it says, uh, Whoso looketh into the perfect Law of liberty and continueth therein. Just stop there for a second. James calls the Bible a perfect law of liberty. He doesn't describe it as a, as a book just of laws or even of rules or of bondage to those rules. He calls it perfect laws that produce liberty for those who follow them. So these words in your Bible are like the words of a perfect coach in rugby. Baseball, softball, basketball, um, um, whatever uh, game you want to play, it's nice to have a coach who's perfect, who sees our limits and our flaws and our bad habits and exposes those flaws. It'd be a, it'd be a poor coach who would constantly do like the modern coaches today who say, oh, you're the best when you're not and says, oh, you, uh, you made that score when you didn't. No, you need a coach who tells you your flaws and then points out what we should be doing better and then what we can do to be better, to be more successful, to actually win the match or the game. And also the good coach will take time to show you the consequences if you don't change. He'll have to put you on the bench or actually kick you off the team. And there are plenty of Christians who are on the bench 
and who've been kicked out of the game. Now, they're not lost, but they definitely have no joy and they have no fruit and they have no success in the Christian life simply because they're arguing with the coach. They never do what the Bible says do. So, we're called to continue therein. What does that mean? To continue looking and listening and learning from the pages of Scripture and continue doing what we're told to do. So it amazes me that people today, especially even Christians, they want the pills and they want the quick fixes for all the problems in life. That's what the world wants. They want to drink a bottle and think that, that beer will take the edge off of the day. Why don't you pray? Why don't you go and serve somebody? Why don't you humble yourself and, and get filled with the Spirit, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and find what no pill can give you? I hope you know that marriage is not about a wedding day. A friend of ours just had their daughter get married. It's a beautiful wedding. Uh, uh, just up country there uh, towards, um, towards Dublin. But marriage is not about the wedding day. It's about a constant effort Loving and sacrificing and submitting and forgiving and carrying and forgiving some more and repenting and praying and serving. That's marriage. It's doing. The same is true in the Christian life. It all began the moment that we repent and we believe the gospel. That day we got saved was the greatest day of our life. But it must continue in our effort. But we must continue in our effort to do what God says do so that we can change. See, the Lord changed our position from sinner to saint. But we need to be sanctified. We need to live it. So Paul in Romans 6 says that we are to yield to the work of the Word of God and to the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit as the word is yielded to. I can't emphasize it enough. The word works, but we got to work at it too. We got to do it. By the way, the doing in 122, back there in verse 22, he says, be doers of the word, means working. I'm, 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 it takes effort to accomplish what God says do. Matthew 7, 21, don't have to go there, but let me just read it. It says this, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, and has all the religious words, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. That's the proof you're saved. So I hope you get the emphasis here that James is promising that God blesses what you do when what you do is the right thing. Let me say that again. <clears throat> A lot of people struggle with, I just can't live the Christian life. Well, are you even trying? Because God blesses what you do when what you do is the right thing. Look there in verse, uh, uh, verse 22. It says, be doers of the word. All right? Do what God says do. Verse 26, 25 says, if you look into the perfect law of liberty and you continue therein, you keep looking and you keep learning, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the, there's our word, the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. So, um, uh, if you're struggling with any bad habit or any sin in your life or an attitude that keeps dominating your thoughts and your attitude, maybe even depressive thinking, God promises if you'll just start doing the right things, He'll help you. You know, if you'll just humble yourself, God draws near to you. You don't have to be. Nobody's ever asking you to be perfect. But the goal is to want to be. And if you just draw nigh to God, He'll draw nigh to you. You just start doing right, God helps you. 
uh, if you don't, if you ignore this, you're going to, the Bible uses the word wax, you will grow worse and worse. God hardens hard hearts till he has to break them and crush them, but he will soften the soft heart. So ask God to soften your heart, not harden it, because if you draw to God with a soft heart, you'll be blessed, and he'll change you if you just do things his way. So G James gives a few examples of good things to work on, like bridling our tongue. Did you notice that? Look there in verse um, 26. See, sometimes we need some examples. He says, if any man among you seem to be religious, oh, you, you seem to be a good person, uh, and bridleth not his own tongue. You don't have control of that little member of your body. Uh, but, um, but deceiveth his own heart, thinking he's a good person. That, this man's religion is vain. He gives us another example, verse 27. He says, let me tell you what pure religion is. And it's undefiled. I mean, you, you can't get any better than this, and that is, before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And the third thing he gives, third example, is to keep himself unspotted from the world. So the first example is to consider what you say. Consider how you say it. James dedicates the first half of chapter 3 to the tongue, describing all the problems with our tongue, the way we talk, how to, and how to transform our words and our speech. How could we ever learn how to tame our tongue? Well, God gives us a commandment, but then he gives us examples, like Saul of Tarsus is a good example, where Saul of Tarsus was good at crying out and calling for the, the, the murder of Stephen. What a tongue. And God transformed that tongue to where he became a preacher of the gospel. He preached against Christ. He, he forced people to use their tongue to blaspheme Christ. And his tongue got transformed. You need to study that. If you want your tongue to be transformed, you got to see how you talk the way he did. You can watch God confront and transform the tongue, the prideful speech of Nebuchadnezzar. Watch him walk around, claim... Uh, great pride in all his accomplishment. And God said, it's over, bud. And he humbled him and broke him for seven years. And after that, Nicodemus was never the same. His tongue was tamed. How about visiting and caring for uh, fatherless children and widows? You know, how, what, you know how you're going to change your attitude? How do you step down and step out of your busy schedule well, you watch God humble people like Peter and John in Acts chapter 3. Oh, they're busy trying to be religious, and God puts a crippled man in front of them. And Peter says, I need to care about this man. And he raises him up, and he helps him walk and praise God, brings him into the temple. Uh, watch uh, God get the entire church in Jerusalem to start actively caring about widows uh, in, the midst, in their midst in Acts chapter 6. You see, when you're too busy to care, God will show you some people who also were too busy and how he got them to care. Uh, you, wanna, uh, you, want, you want to become a good Christian? Start caring about people that are not like you and not like me, can never pay you back, can never care back and show affection towards you. And then he gives that third instruction. He says, how about keeping ourselves unspotted from the culture around us and the fashions, the attitudes of the world going on around us? It was hard back then to keep yourself unspotted. It's even harder now, and yet it's commanded, isn't it? 
Is it possible to keep ourselves unspotted from the world? It sure is. Uh, you just, listen, you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You got Daniel. Those are examples of how to do it. Look into the mirror of God's word and go, that's what I want to be like. Uh, so what do we have to do? I'm going to wrap this thing up. Number one, start listening to every word in the Bible as if it was written to you about you. That's what you got to do. Verse 19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be, let every man be swift to hear the word of God. Listen to it as if it was written to you, not about anyone else. Don't sit there and ever think. Don't, if you find yourself always going, I wish my husband was listening to this. I wish my wife would get what he's saying. I know that feeling. But that's not why the Bible was written. It was written to you about you. Uh, the religious priests and the Pharisees of Jesus' time loved to criticize and point out all the sins and the problems of others. But they never saw themselves in the pages of Scripture. And then Jesus came along. Matthew 21, 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard Jesus' parables, it was a good thing, it says, they perceived that he spake of them. Isn't that something? Here was Jesus preaching a parable, a story, about somebody that, may, you know, is just an example. And yet the whole point was so that the Pharisees would see themselves in that story. And God wants people, you and me today, in the 21st century, to hear this book spoken, talked about, preached, pondered, debated, discussed, tested, explored, but most of all, heard. He needs us to hear it. Because God, if God is ever allowed to just get a hold of our hearts, our hearts, He could change our family. He could save our homes. He could save our world. Secondly, listen to it as if it was written to you. And I like to, I read my Bible as if I'm there, as if I'm the one. I'm trying to, when, when Jeremiah is writing, I try to put my feet in his shoes and I try to see what he sees and let it affect my heart. And then I see as he's preaching about those religious people who are rejecting God, those political people who are fighting their own battles without God's help. And I wonder, am I like that? Remember the disciples sitting around that last supper, Jesus said, um, one of you is going to betray me. And they all said, Lord, could it be me? Now I like that. That's spot on. Because you need to be asking yourself, Lord, are you talking about me? Are you talking to me? But secondly, you need to see yourself in the scriptures. I'll give you some examples, three examples. When you're reading chapter 3 of Genesis, watch Eve get tempted by the devil and see if you can see the devil working in you today like he did with her. See if you ever get convicted uh, that your life, or convinced that your life stinks and that God has not been very good to you and that you need to take matters in your own hand and, and do things your own way. See if that's like you. While you're watching her, why don't you take a good look at Adam, too, and, and watch as Adam chooses Eve over God and end up losing everything. And then blame God for making all the wrong decisions. And watch as Adam decides to run away from God instead of closer to him when he sins. And then tell me you don't do the same thing when you sin. You know, when, when uh, uh, sin starts to get a good grip in your heart, the last thing you want to do is go to church. The last thing you want to do is pick up your Bible. You like to run and hide. Well, look at that and find that in Scripture. See if you ever blame other people and even God for the messes 
that you currently live in. Shall I go on? <laughs> Next time you're reading 2 Samuel chapter 11, watch as David goes looking for a chance to see a naked woman bathing. And tell me you haven't done the same thing while channel hopping or YouTubing. See if you don't mind flirting with handsome and powerful men, ladies, like Bathsheba did, and tell me the temptation wasn't there for you to see how far you could go. See what such sin leads to, and the cost, and the cover-ups, and the ruin of your family. And shall I go on? Next time you're reading through Ephesians chapter 5, and you're hearing the command for us husbands to sacrificially love our wives as Christ loved us, do you take a good long look at how you really are doing in your home? Do you stop and ask God to help you do the work? Or do you always think all the problems in your home are your wife's? How about you, ladies? When reading the very same chapter, there in Ephesians chapter 5, and you find it saying to submit to your own husbands, do you race over the words? Or do you continue looking and looking until you see your own rebellious spirit exposed and out in the open in your own bad attitudes and your anger and bitterness defiling your home? That's how you see yourself in Scripture. You read, you ought, to, you ought to read Song of Solomon and ask yourself, is that me? If it's not, it ought to be. If you find yourself and you're in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, you, look, you ask yourself, is that me? And you say, I don't want it to be me. Look in the pages of This whole year, we're focusing on how to live the Bible. <clears throat> how to live by the Bible how to live with the Bible, teaching us and changing us, molding us. So as you're reading the Bible, see yourself in the pages. Third, fear the consequences that people previously ignored. Remember, David was very well aware of the consequences of adultery. He knew he should die. But he ignored those consequences. He had plenty of examples of it, and yet he still breasts right on ahead. Hezekiah ignored the consequences of the pride. He knew the consequences of pride, and yet he puffed himself up, showing off everything to those Babylonians, and it affected his family for generations, and it affected all of Israel. Adam knew the consequences of his disobedience, and yet he pressed on. He ignored them. You know, that bit of fear will save your marriage. That bit of fear of the consequences of your sin only by the fear of the Lord do men depart from evil. It'll save your children. It'll save your sanity. It'll save our nation. So then you need to start doing whatever the Bible says you need to do. James chapter 1, verse 22, we'll finish with these thoughts. <clears throat> Hear what, God, what, what the Bible says. Verse 22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any, be, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, <clears throat> but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. Now what does this mean? It means when you, hear, when you read about praying for your enemies in Matthew 5, you need to stop right then and there and pray for someone. Don't pray against them. Pray for someone that's hurt you, despitefully used you. Yeah, ask God to humble them. But ask God to save them from hell. I don't want them to go. I don't want anybody to go to hell. 
Ask God to touch their heart and to show kindness to them and to be patient with them. Give them another chance to get saved. When you read or hear about the command to be witnesses of Christ's saving power in your life, you need right then and there <clears throat> to become a doer of the word. Decide right there to start taking gospel tracts with you and to start giving them out to everyone uh, the Lord brings into your path. When you read about assembling together as a church on a given, given designated day, like Hebrews 10.25 says, then, that, then you decide right then and there you're not going to allow anything to be more important and to come between uh, your schedule and God's schedule and start assembling together. We're allowed to, by the government, don't let any other thing come between us assembling. Number D, by the way, when the government stops us, we need to decide, are we just going to go, go ahead and do it anyway? Because it's right. There are health issues. And there are times when you have to stay away. I, and we've done that. But it's time to get back together again. Number D, my thoughts here. <laughs> when you read Psalms and, and, and the Bible says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, stop right there and go, that's written to me. Close your eyes, raise your hand, and say, God, I just want to bless your name. I just want to praise you and worship you and thank you for saving a wretch like me. I just want to thank you for loving me. I worship you as my God, my Savior, my Lord, my fortress, my Redeemer, my Sustainer, my Creator, my, my Savior. You see, when the Bible gives a command like that, do it. When you read how Jesus told the most religious man of the day named Nicodemus, they needed to get born all over again on the inside. You better look at your life and go, am I saved? If you're not, you need to decide that, that you're drowning in your sins and it will cost you eternity. And cry out for God to save your soul, just like Nicodemus ultimately did. When you read in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus says for men to follow him, then you stop right there and you decide that that is what you're going to do from now on. You're going to follow Jesus instead of the world. You see, that's how we read the Bible. I don't read, and a lot of, listen, I'm glad when you read 10 chapters a day or 20 chapters a day. That's excellent. You're, you're cleaner. You're wiser. You're a better person. But don't just read it. Don't just hear it. Do it. And that's why it's kind of dangerous. You read 30 chapters a day. Are you doing everything that's in all 30 chapters? I doubt it. Now, don't only read one chapter. But no matter what you read, you see things that are in there written to you, written for you to do, start doing it. Be doers of the word. Here's the biggest question. Where will you go when you die? See, you can't do enough to get saved. Christ did all. Will you trust him? Will you believe that he died to save you? Will you bow your head right now and ask God to forgive a wretch like you, wash away your sin? He died so that you could have eternal life. He was perfect so that you could come in as a sinner. <laughs> but you got to get in. You got to want to get in. You got to ask. Just, Lord, save me. Be merciful to me, a sinner, save me. He will. Dear Christian, here's some questions for us. Do you have a dedicated, quiet time where there are no interruptions? Will you listen to God speak to you? Do you come to church so that God will speak to you? Or is it just a, a tradition? Are you just used to it? Do your parents drag you? 
Do you come because your wife makes you? Do you come because it's expected? Or do you come because you need to hear, thus saith the Lord? You need to hear what God says to you. Do you make church a priority? Is, is, is it something where you're coming? Because you've got to be there. Let God show us ourselves from now on. Let church be a time where we are quiet and we say, oops, that's me. And then we thank God for showing ourselves so that he can change us. Lord, I love you. I thank you for loving us enough to give us so much in the Bible that, that, that so many people to, sh to show us what we're really like. And, and you loved every one of them, whether it was Judas whether it's Esau, whether it was Jacob, uh, whether it was Moses, whether it was Abraham, whether it was Lot. Lord, you loved them enough to give them somebody who would tell them the truth, who would talk to them, reflect sometimes what they were like or what they need to be like. And Lord, I pray that we let the mirror of the Word of God do its work from now on. And we not to be forgetful hearers, but we pay attention to what you show us. Because, Lord, I don't want this to be in vain. I want my life to, have, to, to be a success. You saved me not to be rich, but to prosper, but to succeed as a Christian in Christ-likeness. I pray this true in every person's life. Listen to my voice here. Lord, bring us back together again next week and the week thereafter. And may we all be in our Bible. And if somebody's got a question, I pray that they talk to somebody today and say, help me. I want to I be more like Jesus. I want to follow him. I don't want to be like I've been in the past. I, I, I need an accountability partner. I need somebody I can talk to, somebody who, who loves me and will take the time to help me, mentor me, uh, be my older brother, my older sister. That's a good thing. Don't be too shy. Don't be too afraid. Lord, please help us have the courage to, um, to be doers of the book now. We love you. And I thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. I will see, Need and I will see you soon, Lord willing.